Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while (coughs) that was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephesus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Morning, everyone. Great to be here. How's that? All right. I feel like we're going well so far. Uh, and Mick opened the door a bit because we reckon the sound's getting trapped when it really cranks. So James will happily turn the sound up and down as I preach, and apparently they can really crank this mic without getting feedback, so that's good. So keep your Bibles open to Philemon. Happy birthday, Kerry Thomas and Justin Linney, and anyone else whose birthday it is today that I'm unaware of, and I apologise. We got to... Uh, sorry? We got to sing to Jono over at Gladswood Hills. He arrived, which was good, in time for us to sing to him, so that was nice. And uh, he'll be back too sweet after he's preached, I'd say, to hang out with you guys for his birthday. There we go. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Philemon. 
Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness and your grace and your kindness to us. We thank you for the sunshine and we thank you for the rain. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word in all its truth and goodness. We thank you for our church. And Lord, we pray now that as we read your word, we'll grow not only in our love for you, but also in our love for one another, our brothers and sisters at church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Philemon is all about uh, relationships in church and particularly what happens when there's a conflict uh, in a relationship in church. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I wonder if you have ever had any difficulties in relationships in church. Perhaps it was someone who really got on your nerves, perhaps the person who really got on your nerves is sitting right next to you right now. Hands up if the person who's sitting right next to you really get... No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Family's got their hands up. Excellent. That's a good start. Maybe the person preaching to you gets on your nerves. Put your hands up. No, 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 no. At the end you can, but not right now. Um, so perhaps there's someone in church who's got really strong opinions that differ from your really strong opinions. Um, perhaps you had a genuine conflict with someone in church once and you were genuinely hurt and maybe deeply hurt. And maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you hurt each other. Maybe you never fully recovered from the hurt and you're actually guarded in church these days from relationships and reluctant to enter in to relationships with other people because you're just nervous about being hurt again uh, by someone or perhaps you're nervous about hurting someone else again as you did in the past. If you hang around church long enough, eventually, probably, you'll have some sort of a conflict with somebody and I think the Bible expects that. There's a couple of places in the Bible where it talks about uh, Paul exhorts the churches in Colossae and Ephesus to bear with one another in love. And you never have to do that unless you're in close relationship with people. And we can tend, we can, we can tend to stand back from relationship and, and, and hang loose so that we never have to really bear with one another in love. We never have that friction or tension or conflict. And I don't think that's what the Bible wants to see. I think God wants us to be in close relationship with one another. But the Inevitably, when we're in close relationship, there's going to be some conflicts uh, in the church, particularly in a church this size. But interestingly, it is that Christian commitment and dedication and it's the leaning in and it's the rubbing shoulders and rubbing hearts with one another that is, is the way we work through conflict as well. And that's what we're going to see in uh, Philemon today. That's the solution. And I I think church is the one, one place that has the greatest success rate with dealing with conflict uh, between people in church, with helping people to resolve conflict, with, with helping people with forgiveness and reconciliation. And of course, that's because that Jesus Christ is obviously the, the reconciler extraordinaire. He is, he's the one who showed us how to do it and then gives us the tools to do it ourselves as well. So how does the church achieve this? What do we do if we find ourselves in conflict in church? Well, let's dive into the letter and see what it has to say. And I need the clicker. I just realized you haven't got my thing. He just James just pegged it at the person next to him. Um, 
Paul's letter to Philemon gives us the key to thriving human relationships and even to healing broken ones in the context uh, of church. It's a, uh, yep, that's what I thought. He's, he's all over it. Uh, it's a stunning, I thank God for this letter and I really hope that you um, benefit from it this morning as we look at it and the rain's got quiet again. That's nice, but I think it will come back. Um, let me give you a bit of context for the letter. So Philemon, the man we're talking about, was a wealthy businessman who lived in Colossae Uh, And it's about the year 53 AD at the start of kind of what Paul has to say. So there's a map of, uh, there's the Mediterranean Sea and there's what was called Asia Minor. And you can see the boot, Italy, to the, that way. Um, And you can see that Colossae is in the middle of Asia Minor there. And on the coast to the west uh, is Ephesus and then across the water is Corinth. So Philemon was a wealthy businessman who lived in Colossae. And uh, that's modern-day Turkey, actually. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. So, um, no doubt business took Philemon to Ephesus uh, on a regular basis. He would have gone to Ephesus. And it was in Ephesus that he came across the teaching of a man named Paul. The Apostle Paul was teaching in Ephesus in around 53 AD. And Philemon heard the teaching of Paul and he became, he, he was converted to Christianity, he became a Christian and he actually started ministering alongside uh, Paul in Ephesus. He started helping out and that's very clear later on when Paul describes him as a fellow worker. So he helped out and uh, there was another guy around at the time who did the same thing named Epaphras. He came to Ephesus and he heard the teaching of Paul and he took that teaching back to Hierapolis and Laodicea, which are kind of to the northwest, northwest and west of, of Colossae. That's where Epaphras was hanging out teaching the Bible. And Philemon took Paul's teachings back to Colossae and started a church in his house. And of course, he was wealthy, he had a big house, and so he was able to do that. So the church of the Colossians met in Philemon's house. That's where it started and that's where it grew. Now, given that he was wealthy, he had slaves, which wasn't a bad thing necessarily back in those days because slave masters provided a comfortable home and provided an income and provided safety and protection and also the the rights for the master were the rights for the slave in the community and then that meant that slaves could have families, wives, children and all that kind of thing under the protection of the slave master. Now one of his slaves, who was a bit of a rogue, was named Onesimus and I don't think Onesimus particularly enjoyed this growing Christian community in the house that he was working in. And in fact, at some point between about 53 and 59 AD, um, he did the runner. He left. He ran away from his master, very naughty. And he also, it's pretty clear that he stole from Philemon before he left and Onesimus took off. Now, somehow in the providence of God... Uh, Anisimus found his his way to Rome and about six years later, 59 AD, uh, Anisimus is now in Rome wandering around and Paul's now in Rome because he's been arrested for teaching the gospel. So he's under house arrest in Rome. He's uh, got a Roman centurion who would have kept guard watching him. Somehow, in the providence of God, Anisimus was brought into contact with Paul in Rome and Anisimus befriended Paul, they befriended one another, became friends, and Paul did what he does. He, he preached the gospel to him, of course. That's what you do when you're with someone who doesn't know the gospel, right? And 
Anisimus became converted. He became a Christian under the teaching of Paul in Rome when Paul was under house arrest. Now, at the same time, Epaphras had been arrested and he was also in Rome. Epaphras brought news to Paul in Rome that a church had started from his teaching in Colossae, uh, in the house of Philemon. And then, and then Paul put two and two together. Here's this runaway slave and here's this news that this church has started in Colossae and Paul discovered that the two fit together. This slave was from this house in Colossae. So Paul felt compelled to send Onesimus back to his slave master. So Paul quickly penned two letters, one, the Colossians, the letter to the Colossians to say, awesome, you've started a church, that's fantastic, let me encourage you and spur you on in the gospel, that's the letter to the Colossians. And then the second letter he wrote was a letter to Philemon. Paul asked Tychicus, his trusted friend, to take these two letters back to Colossae and Onesimus with him um, to Philemon to read out the letters. Is everyone with me? Yeah? Okay. So that's the context. It's really interesting. Hey, I found it really interesting. I hope you did too. Um, That's what's happening and that's how this letter kind of came to be. And uh, I imagine the trip for Onesimus from Rome um, all the way across water and everything back to Colossae. That must have been a a long journey with with lots to think about um, on the way back to the master that he'd stole from and run away from and how is this going to go down? Don't know. So, and I reckon, uh, I, so what would have happened is Tychicus would have got back, he would have connected with Philemon, he would have said, I've got these two letters to read out, and they would have read them both out in the hearing of the whole church, Colossians first and then Philemon. Even though Philemon was a letter to Philemon, it concerned the whole church. Was Onesimus in the room? Was he sitting up the back? Was he standing outside in the rain? Kind of, I don't know. I've, I'd be fascinated to know. And was there murmurs? It's like, oh, wow. And he said, well, so, where is he back? Is he, oh, man, he stole from five men. That guy's a, a shonky. Anyway. So I'll do the rest of the squeeze the rest of my sermon into 15 minutes before the rain comes back. Um, we're going to dive into the letter now. You'd be glad to know. So we're going to look at the first seven verses. Philemon is a wonderful man of faith. So verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy's with Paul. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, Paul opens a letter describing himself not as an apostle, as he normally does, but as a prisoner. And a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of the Roman Empire, really. He's not a prisoner of any human organization, really. He's a prisoner by the will of Jesus Christ. We are all where we are in life by the will of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, that was jail uh, at the moment. It's because of Jesus. He's in jail for Jesus. He's he's willingly in jail because he's in jail uh, for Jesus. He describes Philemon as a dear friend and fellow worker. As we've just mentioned, Philemon had spent time with him and worked with him ministering in Ephesus. Perhaps Philemon was involved with miracle healings. Perhaps he was involved with demons uh, being cast out of people. Who knows? But he'd listened intently and he'd taken the teaching back to his hometown of Colossae. The letter also is addressed to Philemon's probable, very likely wife, Aphia, our sister. 
And it's probable that Archippus is their son. And he's mentioned as a fellow soldier. So he's a brother in the faith and he's ministered uh, as well in the gospel. And he's mentioned again in Colossians 4, if you want to check that out later on. Now, interestingly, though somewhat strange, it would seem, this letter to Philemon is addressed to the whole church as well, to the church that meets. Um, The issue at hand was a family affair for them all. Not only was the church meeting in Philemon and his family's house, but Paul's request to Philemon, which will come later in the letter, was going to have significant consequences for Philemon, for his family, and for the whole church as well. Conflict in the church ought to be a matter for the whole church. And we ought to be able to help one another to sort through conflict, to repent and reconcile uh, together as a church. And often churches, not ours, I don't think, that I'm aware of, often churches keep their issues too secret to the detriment of themselves, and then these issues um, can fester over time. So this is an issue for the whole church, hence the letters addressed to the whole church. Paul's request of Philemon was going to impact them all. Grace and peace to you all, he says at the start of the introduction. The you in verse 3 is plural. Uh, It's to use. We hate the word use. But it'd be really helpful to have a you plural word in English. But we don't have one. We just have to kind of work it out by putting lots of other words around it. But in the Greek, it's use. There's two different words. Um, Verse 4. I always thank God as I remember you, singular now. He's talking to Philemon. In my prayers. Because I hear about your love, Philemon, for all these holy people. That's not to say the church isn't loving as well. But he's talking to Philemon now, but um, distinctly. I hear about your love, Philemon, for all these holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me, Paul, great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul's now speaking to Philemon alone, but he's keenly aware the whole church is listening in on what he has to say, and that's what he wants. Paul loves Philemon dearly, doesn't he? It's very clear of his great heart for Philemon. He cherishes him. He's very thankful for the way in which he's grown in his faith ever since the day he became converted under Paul's teaching. And now Paul has learned with great joy that Philemon has started this church and he has a great love for the people of the church, uh, is what he's hearing back from Epaphras. And that's just overjoying to Paul that Philemon loves his church, loves the people uh, in his church deeply. Now I want you to look again at Paul's prayer there in verse 6 in your Bibles. And I'm serious when I say, I want you to add it to your prayers for your church. Verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Dear God, please help Harrington Park Anglican Church in our faith. Grow us in our effectiveness. Grow our deepening of understanding of every good thing you have given us and that we share for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please add that to your prayers.
Paul asked God to make their partnership in the gospel more and more effective for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church, for the sake of one another. Trusting in Jesus makes us partners in the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Christians are bound together in Jesus through faith in the good news that Jesus died for our sins, all of us, and he rose again in glory as all of our Lord and Saviour. We're partners in the gospel because of our common belief and faith in Jesus. Paul prays that their partnership in the gospel, their common belief will cause them to understand more and more fully the wonderful blessings that are theirs in Jesus for the sake of Jesus. He wants them to realize what they have from God and in Christ and to grow and grow more fully in their understanding of what they have from God in Christ. He wants the church to know just how awesome it is to be a Christian, to remember that, to grow in their depth of understanding of that. And not only that, but to get their hearts around it, that they might grow in their love for one another too. What an immense joy it is not only to have your sins forgiven, not only to be certain that eternal life is yours, but to be joined together with other Christians in this life to celebrate that truth and to love and be loved by. It's a wonderful joy, is it not? Now, this partnership in the gospel is effective in human relationships in the church. That's his prayer. Whilst we await for our king to return, could be today, could be in a thousand years, whilst we wait, wait Paul prays that the partnership in the gospel will be effective. It will have positive effect in the church. So Paul's prayer, my prayer, please make it your prayers, that the church, our church, will see and understand the astonishing good that God is working through his people, the church. Philemon loves his church, he loves his Lord Jesus, and it is this love that has refreshed the hearts of the faithful in the church who gather week in, week out in the house in Colossae. And for this reason, Paul is overjoyed. And Paul now spends the next nine verses <laughs> carefully constructing this platform for his request. So we haven't got the request yet, and we're not going to for another nine verses. Paul's going to build this platform first for his request to Philemon. Now, humanly speaking, what he's about to ask is outrageous. But this platform is supernatural. It's of God. And so it's not outrageous when we get to it, which we will. Verse 8. Therefore, therefore, knowing all this so far, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Excuse me. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. The fact that Paul and Philemon are brothers in Christ means they have a common understanding, they've got a common faith. Paul could be frank. He could be just very, very direct if he wanted to. He could say, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. We both trust in Jesus. We're doing this for him. Therefore, do what I'm asking. But he's not going to do that. Um, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to appeal to Philemon on the basis of love. 
And he knows that he's not barking up the wrong tree because he's already, or he's already mentioned in verse 5 and 7 how loving Philemon is. He knows Philemon's a man of love. Now, can I add at this point, <clears throat> this is the power of partnership in the gospel right here. The fact that he doesn't want to bark a command directly, he wants to appeal on the basis of love. The real power and effectiveness of the gospel is not seen through commands and people ordering other people around. It's seen in common love and common faith in Jesus, common understanding, common unity in Christ, people working together. <clears throat> partnership in the gospel, not one person ordering other people around, but partnership together in the gospel with this common faith and this unity, two people, 10 people, 100 people working together with a common faith. And I think a wonderful proponent and leader of this kind of leadership, this gospel partnership style of leadership, rather than this sort of do what I say because I'm saying it sort of leadership, is Jono. He's a wonderful loving pastoral man who longs to work in partnership uh, with people. He's certainly not the kind of guy uh, to bark, people, bark orders at people. And I'm on staff, so I know that firsthand. He longs to explain the kind of leadership that Paul is right here in Philemon. Paul's appealing on the basis of love and not as the authority of apostle, but as an old man. And not just an old man, an old man in prison. So he's not lording it over Philemon at all. He's coming from a posture of humility. Now it's in verse 10, practically, practically halfway through the letter, we discover who it is Paul's writing about. So the church is eagerly sitting there listening to this letter, and they don't even know who Paul's talking about yet. And then the bomb drops in the middle of the room. I appeal to you for my son, son, Onesimus. Onesimus. Do you remember Onesimus? I remember Onesimus. He was the guy that ran away. Didn't he steal from Philemon? I'm pretty sure he did. Couldn't be the same guy. It is the same guy. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son whilst I was in chains. Now, <clears throat> I can imagine the murmurings. Can you imagine the murmurings in the church? And is, is Onesimus in the room or just outside? Or I don't know. Is he going for a walk around the block? I don't know. Um... But this is, yeah, this is full on that they're talking about this guy. People must be asking, how on earth did Onesimus meet our beloved Apostle Paul? Paul's a hero of the church, right? How did, they, how did, how did Onesimus meet Paul? And why is Paul appealing on the behalf of that thief? And why is he calling him his son? That's outrageous. And it is outrageous, humanly speaking. But he says it twice, my son. Is there a greater exclamation of affection than to call someone your son, your child? In sharing the gospel with Onesimus and teaching him the Bible and becoming partners in the gospel, Paul became a spiritual father to Onesimus, Onesimus like a son to him. And Paul now points to the elephant in the room that everybody's murmuring about. He says, formerly he was a useless slave. I know, he was, I know, he told me. Was he insolent? Was he lazy? Was he disruptive? I don't know. We don't know. But he ran away after he'd robbed his master. He was useless to Philemon. But that's all changed. He's became useful now. And Paul's sending him back. Paul's saying, he was useful to me. I pray he'll be useful to you. <clears throat> Greatly useful, in fact. In fact, Onesimus means useful one. Did you know that? 
Apparently, it was a name that was often given to slaves in the hope that they might live up to the name and be useful. Now, not only is Anissimus a changed man, he's been of great service to Paul. Of such great service, in verse 13, we learn that Paul wants to keep him, but he thinks it's rightful to send him back to his master. Of course it is. Now, friends, we see most strikingly, most astonishingly, the power of partnership in the gospel. In a very short verse 12, Paul writes, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. My very heart. How is this possible? How is it possible that the Jewish apostle of Jesus imprisoned in Rome should develop such a deep affection for a Gentile fugitive from Colossae? How is it possible? Humanly speaking, I want to say it's not. It's impossible. This is absolutely an act of God to bring them together in the first place and then to bring them into relationship and then to bring them into brotherhood. It's an act of God. It has to be. It's outrageous, humanly speaking, that Paul develops this relationship for Onesimus and that Paul's about to ask Philemon to do what he's going to ask him to do. Paul describes Onesimus as his very heart. He knows him, he loves him, he delights in him, he's encouraged by him, he's a partner in the gospel with him, they're brothers in Christ for all eternity because of Jesus. Verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me because Philemon's gone back to Colossae while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul wants to leave this decision to Philemon and we still haven't been told what the decision is. Any favour you do, what favour? What's the favour? Get to the point. Why is Paul taking so long to build up to what the request is? We'll find out in a moment. Look at verse 15. Paul's very confident it's God at work. Perhaps God separated you two for a reason so that you might come back and that forever into eternity as brothers in Christ. Anisimus' flight was all part of God's plan. This is the power of partnership in the gospel. Paul and Anisimus, brothers in Christ for all eternity. Now, what about Philemon and Anisimus? Because that's harder. Anisimus deeply wounded Philemon. Perhaps you've been deeply wounded by someone in church before. Is reconciliation possible? Well, here's a request. Finally, we get to the request. Paul's outrageous request. He's carefully laid this platform of faith and partnership in the gospel. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Outrageous request. It really is. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. We'll get to what that means in a moment. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. 
prepare a room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Consider that for a moment. Paul is the hero of the, new, of the early church. Anisimus deeply wounded Philemon, stole from him, ran away. His beloved, loving, caring master. Philemon would have been a great master. Stole from him and ran away. The church loves Paul. It's because of him they have a church. It's because of him they know the gospel. It's because of him they're saved. It's because of him they have hope. Welcome him as you would welcome me. This is the power of partnership in the gospel. And I tried to think of an illustration for it. It's really hard. <laughs> it's, it's just too full on. But I'm going to have a crack. Now, a little while ago, the bishop visited, didn't he? Here he is. Who got to meet him? Hands up. Yep, a few people got to meet the bishop. The bishop came to church here. Last year, is that right? Yes. Thank you, Mel. I wasn't here, but he was, and you were, or at least some of you were. It was a big deal. And it's a big deal when the bishop comes to visit church. He's got a lot of churches looking after, about 70. And we love our bishop. I love our bishop. He's been very kind to me personally, and I think he's a real blessing to our region. Now, if he was to come again, he's actually coming to Gladswood Hills this year. Nah. <laughs> you had him last year. Um, I'm really excited. It's August. He's coming. It's miles away. I'm excited. He's going to come and we're going to, I don't know, put on some food and we're going to, I hope everyone gets to meet him and shake his hand and say, hello, we love you, Bishop, and thank you for all you do to us. Now, imagine someone started coming to Harrington Park. The name was Fred. Let's call him Fred. And Fred quickly turned out to be a real troublemaker and he caused a lot of trouble. He stole from Jono and he left, right? And then sometime later, Fred returned. And you're like, oh, my goodness, Fred's back. Can't believe it. He stole from Jono. And he's back. But before he arrived, Jono said to you all, Fred's coming back to church today. Welcome him as you would welcome the bishop. With the same love and the same excitement and the same affection and the same eagerness to have a relationship with Fred, who stole from Jono. You can't imagine it, can you? But that's what Paul's saying. It's, again, it's an outrageous request, but it displays the power of partnership in the gospel. Because of Christ, this is possible. This kind of repentance, this kind of reconciliation and unity is possible because of Jesus. Jesus made us sinful enemies of God, friends with God. Because of him, this is possible, this kind of reconciliation. Because of the deep union in Christ that exists between Paul and Philemon as well, this kind of reconciliation is possible. There's a deep faith and trust and unity that exists already, that's already the platform for the church. So this is possible. And whatever he owes you, Paul goes on, I'll pay it back. Any debt he owes, I'll pay it. You can't help but think of Jesus at this point, can you? Any debt they owe, Father, charge it to me. 
I'll pay the price for their sin on the cross. I'll die to pay for them. Why? Because I love them so much. And what Paul's talking about in verse 21 when he says, confident of your obedience to by right knowing that you'll do even more than us. We don't really know what he's talking about, but possibly he's, he's expecting Philemon to free Onesimus from slavery and to kind of move on as partners in the gospel. Um, perhaps he would allow him to return back to Paul. We don't know. But the fact that this letter survived is testament to the fact that Philemon welcomed Onesimus back, as did the church. Now, fun fact in the 2nd century AD, there was a bishop in Ephesus named Onesimus. And the timing works. Was it the same guy? Not sure. Could be. Maybe. Cool to think about, don't you think? If he became a bishop after being a runaway slave and thief. Awesome. I think the rubber really hits the road for the church in verse 22 when Paul says, I'm coming back to visit. So Paul says, I'm going to come back and visit. And the church goes, oh, wow, Paul's coming. How good's that? Let's find our best room for him and let's put on a big feast for him and let's have a special service for him. And hang on a minute. He said, welcome Anisimus in the same way that we're going to welcome him. Wow. Who's got a good room for Anisimus? Anyone? No? Anyone? <laughs> it's challenging, isn't it? Have the same joy and expectation of love for Onesimus that you do for me. Friends, what's this mean for us today? Well, we must make full use of the power of, the power of partnership in the gospel that is already ours in our relationship. So firstly, to remember God's goodness to us in our church and his kindness and the blessings that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember those things all the time and remind one another of those things all the time. But the opportunity for partnership in the gospel to become fully effective only arises when there's trouble, when there's conflict, when there's tension in relationships and that platform of love and partnership in the gospel means you can work your way through it. So imagine that I'm going to pick on someone that's very, very likely to happen to because he just recently detailed my car and I just love him so much now, even more than before. Imagine Bertie and I had a big blue, right? A big argument. Very unlikely, but imagine we did. And he said, you're preaching, you know, I don't know, it just stinks a bit. And I said, well, you don't really listen properly. And uh, we had a bit of a, you know, and we went away for a few days. But I thought to myself, you know what, Bertie's a brother in the gospel and I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I know, I know that. And I know he knows that. He knows he's a sinner saved by grace and we're, we're eternal brothers in Christ. And when we come back together and, you know, the apology is swift and, it's, oh, mate, I'm really sorry that, you know, you're really great. Listen. Oh, I'm sorry, too. I think your preaching's okay. Um, <laughs> can you see how that can, that can happen? And I'm going to share something with you. In fact, it kind of happened to me just before Christmas. I had a bit of a, a conflict with someone in church. It was smallish. And then when I saw him again at church, he hugged me. Like, he didn't say a word. He just kind of hugged me. And then he said, I'm sorry. And I said, oh, it's okay. I'm sorry. And, you know, and we sorted it out just snippety snap because we have that brotherhood in the gospel. So I think 
we ought to remember the goodness, the blessings that have come from God to us through Christ. And we ought to remember that we're forgiven first by Him before we're reluctant to forgive others. And then I think because of those things, we can lean into relationship with one another with confidence because we know we're saved by grace and we know that we're sinners and we know that we're loved by God and we know that we're forgiven by Him. And, and I think when we do lean in, there's going to be conflicts, there's going to be tensions, but I think for the most part, they'll be resolved snippety-snap because of the unity in, in the faith and that, that common understanding of the gospel and that love for Christ and that, and that love for one another. But the power of the partnership in the gospel is put into most effect, greatest effect in those moments when there's those conflicts and tensions. So don't be scared of conflict into the church. Don't, don't be afraid to lean in. Don't be afraid to love one another closely and deeply knowing that we have this common faith and we, can, we have the ability from God through Jesus because of him to reconcile with one another, to forgive, to repent, to, uh, to, to reunite as we should. I'm going to pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for this stunning letter to Philemon and what a blessing it was to Philemon and his family and his church and what a blessing it is to us uh, and Lord, we thank you for your love first poured out on us through Christ and the forgiveness that is ours through him, taking our sin upon his shoulders. We thank you that he rose glorious in victory. And he, we thank you, Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit so that we have the tools and the ability uh, to forgive one another, to love one another deeply, to lean into relationship with confidence, to have the tools to repent and to uh, forgive and to reconcile. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Please work among us uh, as a church. Help us to love one another. We pray that we, we won't have any great conflicts in our church, but Lord, when they come, we're confident that we can work through them because of you and your love and your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.